welcome to the Rise and Grind OCR and Endurance Sports podcast. Uh, we're here today for all things OCR and Endurance Sports. Um, on the podcast today, we've got myself, Jake Barber. We've got Graham Roberts. Yo! I'm going to shout Delvin. for the whole present. I'm going to shout every single time. <laughs> You're going to be our new hype man. Yep, 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 yep. Um, <laughs> I thought we and we've got John Chambers as well. <laughs> I think Aaron's in there. Somewhere. Right. Aaron Self is in there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I am also here. Hello. Right, we'll start off with Graham. Graham, what have you been up to in the last two weeks? What have I been up to in the last two to th- if I go two to three weeks, uh, two to three weeks ago, I was in Tahoe uh, watching the Spartan World Championships out there. Pretty epic event. Retiring, working pretty hard for that one. Um, anyone who saw the Spartan feed might have seen that. Um, and then OCR World Champs uh, was there for that. That of an event that took place in Essex. Um, that was very exciting running around those fields. It was beautiful running around those fields, John. Very muddy. Um, yeah. You're right. And then, uh, what else? Uh, just generally getting training in. We're on T-minus four weeks now to Namibia. So, um, just kind of getting everything dialed in for that. So. Don't sound any more excited about that, mate, than you can do. I like to just keep a real placid sort of, you know, it's just another event, John. You know, it's not special. So, you know, I like to stay quite chilled in my prep, John. <laughs> Fair is. So that's been about it for me of late. Oh, and I'm on a flight to Japan tonight. So, Ooh. I want a postcard. What about you, John? What have you been up to? Uh, I have uh, just accepted a new job in Scotland. Wow. So I'm packing up my life in Wales and moving to Scotland. Uh, what else? I spent the weekend, well, one day, one morning, running around a field with Graham, which was quite fun. Uh, definitely happy I made, we made the choice of trail shoes, not wellies, like one of our people we were running with. Uh, and then just getting stuff together for routes this weekend. And that's really about it. You know, not really that much. So, What about you, uh, Aaron? What have you been up to? I have been um, working in one of Europe's largest bogs. Which has been <laughs> wet and miserable and cold. <laughs> um, for all the international viewers out there, that's not a bog toilet. That's a bog in a field. That's a bog <laughs> in a field where they used to cut peat. Oh, um, so it smells fresh as well. well it, smells, it smells potent, shall we say. Um, and I've been uh, peaking and tapering for a half, half marathon. Awesome. Do you want to touch on that? Do you want to go into how the half marathon went? Yeah, well, we can go straight into that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Jake's not been up, Jake's not yeah. been up for anything. Jake's just been changing nappies and feeding. And <laughs> Dad life. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got no chat. Yeah. I've been changing Bye. nappies. Uh, last night, I took Evie for a bath, which was good, and she decided to take a shit on me. So, <laughs> <it's very laughs> nice. Dick, uh, dad goals. Yeah, that's <laughs> the highlight of my two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until oh. she pukes over your shoulder, you don't realise. That's all the Oh, one. yeah. She's <laughs> been sick on me, but, but yeah, not puked over the shoulder. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's been super stressful a uh, couple of weeks at work, to be fair. Um, training's been good, but I'm sort of hitting that. Uh, Evie's about coming out to five weeks old now, so sort of 
the adrenaline's really worn off uh, and everything's starting to take its toll. Uh, <laughs> the lack of sleep is like, yeah, really playing on me now. So I get enough sleep because obviously Rachel's breastfeeding. So I still get the same amount of hours, but it's broken. And it just shows that as soon as you start breaking up your sleep, it just, yeah, it just really fucks it up. Um, so yeah, this is the Graham's hard, mantra of sleep. Just yeah. Don't. <laughs> yeah, and then funny enough, I was watching the documentary yesterday with uh, Scott Jurek on that um, mad trail in America, and it was saying he, he was averaging running fifty miles a day and sleeping three hours a night. And I was thinking, and I'm sitting here moaning. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a good time going, to do a oh. full caffeine detox. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. That's to be fair. I know, I know, I'm stressed at work as well because when I start getting stressed, I start getting twitches in my eyes. And then generally, when that happens, I cut out the uh, have a caffeine detox, and usually it sorts me out. So it's funny how they all sort of correlate yeah. together. Say that I've been on a coffee uh, detox this week, and fuck me, it makes such a difference. Oh, yeah. how long have I been screaming at you guys? That <laughs> coffee is not the answer, but God, what do I know? Coffee, coffee is, is, is the fucking days. answer, Graham. We don't all wake up. We don't all wake up full of beans like you, Graham. Some of us need a little warming up. You know, we need a little yeah. hot brew to sort of. All right, all here we go. We're yeah. going to pump the day. Some of us maybe need four to five coffees by the end of the day because they work in a boarding school until fucking 11 o'clock at night dealing with fucking kids. So fuck you, man. All, all you need, boys, <laughs> is to just wake up and give yourself the old Ric Flair. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> right, Aaron. So, Aaron, you did half marathon yesterday. Tell us all about it. Yes, I did a half marathon yesterday. Um, bit of background, I guess. Um, I've never done a, done a half marathon before, like an official event. Um, I went in trying to basically <laughs> personal best, which was a 132, um, which I did in training last year. Um, I thought on a good day, I'd be able to break 132 considering my training all year has, has been sort of quite broken i've not really held down a big running plan this year just sort of generally kept fit um i thought on a on a really good day i might be able to break 130 um and that was like sort of the second goal um the sort of i had a, a sort of nine week block leading up to the half marathon where i'd really started to focus on um that sort of training, a lot of 45 to 50 minute interval uh, threshold stuff uh, with anywhere between five and two minute rest in between. Um, four weeks prior, I was looking at my times that I was sitting on my intervals and I was sitting around about the times that I wanted to hit. I worked out if I'm going to go sub 130, I need to be averaging 415. Um, and I was doing like four, like I said, 40 minutes worth of intervals and being totally gassed at, at the end of those with, with rest. So I was a little bit skeptical whether, whether how I would, how I would fare. Um, and then about three weeks out, all my training went from being on road onto trails just because it was easier with my, my work situation. So I kind of lost a lot of, um, I lost a lot of Press, a lot of stress on myself because instead of always looking at the watch, I was um, I was basically just focused on putting in the time, um, and obviously on the trail the t the, the speed didn't matter. Um, and then uh, one week out, my Garmin broke, so I basically I'm going into the event blind, 
um, which was tough. I mean, I'd never raced a half marathon before. So, I mean, a lot of people say I like race on field, but I mean, I had no idea what I should be feeling. So that was um, a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was, again, hard to try and find the balance of, okay, well, I, I want to run within myself um, because it's still a long way to run. Um, but I don't want to take it too easy in the beginning and really have to like dig too deep in the end. Um, tapered really well. I had quite a solid carb load. And then yesterday I got up, felt great. Um, started off in a, in a group and we were, I got about 3K and I explained that I had no watch and that I was running on field. So I've got no idea what tempo we were running. And we'd averaged about four minute kilometers for probably about the first 5K. So I was like, okay, well, I actually feel really good. Um, and just went really hard. Me and a, me and a girl uh, worked, worked together. Um, she actually came second in the end. And I helped, uh, we helped push each other. Um, and I crossed the line in one hour, 26, 23. So super stoked. I came four minutes under 130-ish. So... Uh, <laughs> How long were you just waiting? Rick Blair. <laughs> Rick Blair. Um, I yeah, see yeah. the theme from Graham. This podcast. <laughs> so what's super, the, what's, super. I was going to say what's, what's super interesting about that is the fact that obviously your, your Garmin broke, and you probably hit a time that you completely weren't expecting. Mm. Um, and I think it sort of does raise concern that sometimes technology is great as it is sometimes it's actually a bit of a hindrance to performance if you don't mm. use it too well because we sort of tend to rely on it too much and go right that's the pace blah blah, blah. this is the pace i'm meant to be running this is how i feel but not enough people i think go for runs and go for how they feel mm. and and push it in terms of things like that and just saying right i'm going to go out without the watch i know this is roughly 5k and i'm just going to absolutely blitz it mm. and similarly to you I've been out, my fastest 5K was when I just did not look at my watch for the whole time and I just gave myself the goal of the first mile is going to be fucking balls to the wall. The second mile is going to be trying to hold on to that as long as I can. Mm. And then the third mile is like, just push as hard as you can. It turns out I PB'd and I didn't even get a fucking alert by my watch or whatever. So yeah, 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 yeah. it does show that we show a bit of too much reliance on it. Although technology is good, but... But if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, no, so I was really happy. And when I, when I sort of figured out that in that first 5K, we were running sort of four-minute kilometers, it did feel it did feel easy. And I, I think that, that speaks definitely if you've got a training plan and you're putting in the work consistently and then you you really do back off quite well and you get all your your all your all your stars aligned with your nutrition and your lead up and your taper um it really does say that like that the body can can recover to the point that you do feel really good because i felt like well i did continue that sort of speed through most of the race and that's a speed that i'd never thought i'd really in training i've never been able to hold mm. um so i was really happy the the first maybe 12k, I did feel very comfortable. Um, and then between sort of 12 and 17, it started to get uncomfortable. And from 17 to 20 was really holding on. And then the last two was just like, just, just don't collapse kind of thing. <laughs> just get over that finish line. Um, 
So, yeah, so yeah, and the girl that I was uh, running with came se- second overall, so that was pretty cool as well. It's fucking awesome. Sounds like it yeah, went I, really good, you know? Yeah, I reckon that you're right with the tech thing. I think the tech thing's really, really useful in training to get an idea of where you're at, what feels like, sort of give you a sort of uh, tune in to what your body actually does at certain levels. But like you say, when you come to the race and that prep, taking the time to just sort of say, right, I'm going to go with what I feel like and put that down and not sort of rely on that crutch of the information to tell you I'm doing well or not, Mm. gives you that moment to stay a little bit more present into what's actually taking place and really check in and go, right, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? And how do I need to push it forward from there? So it seems like you've really been able to tap into you know, trust in yourself and really going forwards with what you've got there, which is a pretty darn epic, mate. So good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no. So it's um, basically I've got a day off today and sort of chill out next week. And then I've sort of got another mini peak and then I've got an ultra in, in three weeks and then it'll be off season, off season and training. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad sort of like, I feel like I'm getting back on the horse, so to speak, after having, probably the best part of the whole year like focusing on family and stuff so it's it's a real positive a real positive boost for me so um yeah that's what i've been up to it's great to see that your fitness has come back so quickly as well because obviously you've been consistently over however long you've changed for this half marathon but i'm sure you've been flexible with it it's good to see that your fitness has you know it's come back uh, so quickly from what you have done Mm. And that's um, something that me and me and Graham talk about a little bit is, is that just keeping that base and then like training for your specific event is, is, is maybe like six to eight weeks of the cherry on top. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. doing more cycling this year than I've ever done before and yet mm. can still pull, pull out a, like a 126 hour marathon with, of course, I still need a block of running, but just mm. maintaining and just being generally fit can can really set you up for then going down sort of a more individualized path and that's what we always talk about with like race specificity as well um, yeah. well it's like we look at george today right george we, as we know right now is running the lisbon marathon and we joke that george has like done some long stuff done some short stuff he's got into things that maybe he shouldn't have got or not but at the baseline <laughs> george has a really high level of overall conditioning and fitness and depending on what direction the travel is passionate about, you can start tuning that into the different events. And the top guys do the same thing. You know, last weekend, John Album, you know, he's winning the OCR World Championships. This weekend, he's finishing third, fourth in the in a sky race. Now, yeah, the two disciplines are quite different, but he's tuning in in different places and just, you know, tapping into where he can apply his fitness rather than my fitness is determined by the events I do. So. that's interesting you touched on the uh, OCL World Championships question I've got for you Graham considering you've been to Tahoe and you've been to OCR World Champions what do you feel is the better event oh mate oh. Uh, uh, on what criteria do you want me to <laughs> assess it uh, I think it, I don't I, know what, what feels more what feels more like world class I'd say Right, in terms of the depth of field, I would definitely say that the Spartan World Championships had a hugely deep field in terms of speed capability. 
you know, it's the biggest prize money in the sport, that race. So the best of the best who are interested in OCR turn up for that. You know, John go, John was out there 10 days before the event to acclimatise to give himself the best chance of having a go at that race. And uh, running the course. Uh, in, in jaunting around the course in advance, yeah, <laughs> uh, along, along with loads of the other athletes. So interesting that John was the only one that decided to call out on it. Anyone who thinks someone wanted to uh, promote the event in some way, yeah, create a little, create a little media center. Um, but yeah, um, so in terms of the depth of field and what that brings to the table, I think you can't argue with Spartan World Champs. The other thing I noticed with Spartan is. The, the complexity of the obstacles at the elite level is now they are manageable without much trouble. If someone misses something, it's usually outside the top 10 that they start to fail obstacles at a Spartan race these days. Um, I think the first person I saw, um, the most challenging obstacle on the, course, on the course in terms of time under load was Monkey Twister Monkey. First person I saw drop was Ryan Kent, and he was in seventh when he did it. But to be fair, he turned up and he didn't look like he was ready to take the obstacle on. He didn't attack it. He was quite defensive in his approach. His body language looked quite defensive when he did that. But um, so that's where you started to see a few people struggle there. But the others just flew through. Anyone who's watched Aaron Newell will know that Aaron just showed everyone, really, if you mm. went super aggressive on the obstacle, just how quick you could do it. Mm. Um, so I think from a Spartan perspective, the, 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 the complexity of the obstacles aren't that hard. But what it means for the elites, but what it means is you've got a fluidity to the race. A real, there's a real flow in and out of movement through it, which keeps the tempo that's quite high. OCR World Championships had 11 grip strength based obstacles back to back, two thirds of the way through that 15K race. Wow. You know, that, that's a high level of, you know, challenge on your obstacle proficiency. And we know that OCR World Champs from Adventure and the European Championships that we had this year and the year before have both you focused on the grip strength element of obstacle course racing and how you need to have that kind of agility through those movements as well. But do you think, sorry, just interrupt, but do you no, think they do that? because it's more interesting for the fans to watch or is it to prove that the higher level participants can do that ability? Yeah, I think, and I think that's, the, that's where I notice it. You're right. They seem to focus on, it's not just about your running capability. Spartan does lean on running, running capability a lot to be really, really good at it. Um, I think when it comes to, but when it comes to the European Championships, you know, you look at like Karen Carlson. Karen Carlson won the women's event this year and she is an obstacle beast. Aaron will know, he's seen her in the toughest races and she's absolutely stunning on the obstacles in terms of the way she goes through them. She's really fluid through it. And you could argue that she's probably five to 10 seconds a K slower than some of the other women on the running. But the obstacle proficiency can make a difference. So I think it depends where you want the test of the sport to actually be as to what really defines which one's the best, in my opinion. Mm. Um, you can then argue that, okay, well, it's the flexibility of the racers to be able to adapt to each of the, the circumstances. But as we know within other athletic-based sports, you don't have a 100-meter runner who goes and runs a marathon the next week. 
And I, I, you know, I thought noticed for a couple of years now that the sport is moving down the line where you're going to have short course specialists versus long course specialists. And you're going to have strength-based specialists versus obstacle proficient specialists. And you're starting to get these dimensions where people are starting to pinpoint exactly where their sweet spot is. You know, Leon, well, Leon, you... Leon Kofod, for example, he's clearly said, I am a 3K specialist. There you go. Yeah. That's where well, I'm now you look at the, the calendar for um, next year and they've got a stadium world championship for Spartan. So that kind of nine world championships listed on their <laughs> schedule for next year. Freaking so. ridiculous. But I mean, like, you look at it though, like, you can afford a 5K 20 obstacle series would justify a world championships in it. But obviously, there must be the pull pull because you see a lot of like pro guys just hitting those series. Yeah. I mean, like, it must be, it's like, you know, it's fast. It's less taxing your body, you know, compared to going out and doing a beast every weekend, you know. So you can see the benefits of why people are pulling towards yeah, it, it comes, as well. It comes become a, like a Metcon. It's, yeah. It comes more like a Metcon workout where, you you know, it might lean on the CrossFitters. We were just talking before we started about High Rocks yesterday in Miami and the kind of people that turn up for that. These are these people who can go really high intensity for really relatively short periods of time and can crush it. You throw them in something a little bit longer, it's a different kind of engine that you need. Yeah. 100%. Don't know if that answers your question, Jake. What about uh, ISO? <laughs> <laughs> it sort of did. Um, but obviously, we're talking about Spartan World Championships. We're talking about OCR World Championships. And then I believe it was yesterday or the day before, FISO have um, announced that they're doing a World Championship. So it looks like we're What is that, though, Jake? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Graham can enlighten us a little bit more on that, but it looks like OCR racing still hasn't really found its path. It looks like it's going a bit more towards the, uh, you know, the the history of boxing, where we've ended up with the WBF, the WBA, the WBC, and all the different different titles. And you're going to end up with one individual who's going to be winning consecutively consecutively across each association, federation, whatever they want to call it. It's, it's cool. Uh, you know, they're all different. But maybe Graham, being someone who's a bit in the know with the <laughs> FISO OCL World Champions, can enlighten us on exactly what it is. What you mean because I'm an instructor on the Level 2 coaching programme, Jake? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly that. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. No, um, so FISO is the Federation the International of Sport the Obstacle. Um, or World OCR, as everyone else knows it. <laughs> so its president is a chap called Ian Adamson, who's um, a, a world-renowned adventure racer and has, um, holds a couple of world records for a few things as well. And FISO is the official gov world governing body for obstacle course racing. Now, the OCR World Championship... Wait, can you... Sorry, oh, you're about to explain it. No, 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 I was going to no, say... let me give you a clarify. Wait, hang on. So, what's the difference? Hi, Mum. John's yeah. Mum's joined us yeah, there. Hi, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> so, hang on. Right. Just to clarify, in normal sports, because like I mean, well-defined sports. So, you've got like track and field racing, yeah. and then they have a governing body who sets the parameters of what's like the hundred-meter sprint has to be X, Y, Z to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you go on the World ACR website, you'll see there's a whole. Uh, mandate of what their area, what they cover, what they're intending to do for the sport of OCR around the world. 
and how they're looking to support the national federations, which, um, you know, a lot of countries around the world have national federations for um, obstacle course racing, how they can support them develop a consistency of uh, race directing, uh, consistency of race standard, consistency of coaching standard um, across uh, all the coaches in the world who um, develop, you know, OCR athletes and put OCR programs on. And there's a three level program um, that's um, uh, very, very in detail in terms of the level of standard of coaching that that develops. Um, and generally make sure that the sport is in a condition where it is recognized as a fully fledged, well-run sport. So is it kind of trying to do like Joe DeSena's thing of like, it want, he wants obstacle racing to become an Olympic sport. So it's the same sort of idea. Yeah. So, yeah. so I know but Joe and Ian talk. fucking money at it. Like Joe yeah, does. I reckon, <laughs> I know Joe and Ian talk regularly and Spartan, Spartan and World OCR do speak quite regularly because Spartan is one of the biggest brands in the world in the sport it's a bit like iron man when it comes to triathlon iron man mm. is a brand it isn't the brand that runs the olympic triathlon race if yeah, that makes yeah. sense so yeah so what just on a so everyone knows of the ocr world championships they're actually ran by a company called adventure that adrian Vigenada um is the head of and it is an independent event so that's why you've got that world championship run by them. And for so long, Adrian has held what's felt to be the official a... world championship in the sport of obstacle course racing. Um, obviously, for the sport to be incredibly credible, World OCR have intentions. Now they've been set up for a number of years now to set up their own race. And as Jake just pointed out this year, they have announced um, the first FISO-backed world OCR championship which is going to take place in Sochi in but Russia. where is it? It's Sochi in Russia in between the 17th and the 20th of September, 2020. It's a well, super, it's... super interesting location as well. <laughs> Isn't Sochi where they had the Winter Olympics? Yes, and that's probably the reason yeah, well, that they had it. I think it's on it. that site, actually. It is. So they've got a whole sort of village-based infrastructure to run events out of Sochi, which is why the Formula One race takes place there. There's been other events that have taken place in recent years in Sochi. And yeah, so I, it doesn't surprise me that they've decided to go there for it. So, um, yeah. Any other, for any other first, questions on World OCR? That's for the that first one. They I know. Like... Go on, Jake. Uh, John, <laughs> sorry. Um, no, I, I'm interested in why they've gone to Russia because I would have thought, like, not to say that it's a bad location for it. I mean, they'll get a lot of the European and European and Asian sort of people going over to there. But I wouldn't have thought it would have pulled a lot of um, Americans from the States, especially with the whole, like, Trump attitude to Russia at the minute. <laughs> Shit like that. <laughs> you know. It's going to be um, interesting as well because, well... Have they announced qualifying races? Have they announced sort of, you know, things like that? People don't know of it. So it's going to be very yeah. hard, I think, to pull traction for it. So I've, I can't imagine it being huge numbers, but maybe there's more to announce. I don't know. Yeah. And then but off, I mean, just off the face the... of that as well is that's usually around when the date of Tahoe is as well, like sort of mid-September. Yeah. Unless you, like you said, they've taught to Spartan and Spartan's maybe possibly moving their one. Possibly. No comment. Seven, Not seven, allowed to comment. But the, 
They haven't put the date out, have they? Yeah. Graham's obviously looking very shifty right now, but uh, I'm sure he's got Obviously, it's another one of those uh, <laughs> disclosure uh, agreements signed yeah. again. I'm sure he will let us into it uh, another week when he's allowed um, to. I'm sure, I'm sure once Spartan announced their full race schedule for next year, everyone will understand what's happening with the Spartan World Championships and where they are. So maybe it's in Russia. <laughs> oh, what controversy that would be! Oh, John, you devil, you. Because that's that's the other thing. Like I'm thinking, right? They're trying to almost standardise it as as they've standardised in a way Spartan. But in that in that respect, it's it's very hard to standardise an obstacle course race because each obstacle course race has its own obstacles. You know, each obstacle course race has its own penalties and things like that. So they're really going to have to standardise the whole format across a series of events. And at the end of the day, these events are possibly privately owned unless they're going to bring out their own version. It's very hard yeah. sport to standardise. Like 100 metres, like you said, it's 100 metres on the track. The track's got to be a certain, you know, specification. Still got to have, you know, the hurdles and the, the steeple. You know, a marathon's got to be 26.2. Yeah. You know, it's very hard. I think it will turn it. out to be a bit more maybe like, you know, ski, uh, downhill skiing, you know, super slalom and sort of thing. Like, the course is kind of the same. You know roughly that, it, you know, you've got fucking skiing, okay? But <laughs> the, the, um, <laughs> um, the conditions on the slope and the amount of gates... The, the sorry the gates stay the same but the conditions change right. so it's going to be something like that like you know, to meet that um world standard that uh, you have to be uh, affiliated with the governing body you have to have you know xyz obstacles you need to be a minimum distance mm -hmm. of this and then you can do whatever you else you want with it like like graham said essentially yeah. it'll, like and, and the same as what you mean there john it'll be it'll be similar with with triathlon you know, you've got you've got Ironman, which has which isn't you know ITU, which isn't the Olympics, and within triathlon, you've got sprint, Olympic, standard, half Ironman, full Ironman. Then you've got like events like Norseman and Keltman, which are still still Ironman. Yeah. Oh, sorry, still triathlons, but they're extreme triathlons. Mate, and then you've got the fucking nutter death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then you've got Xterra, which is still <laughs> triathlon, but just a, like a, on trail, different format. Um, yeah. You know, so I think it will be, it, it will turn out very much so. Like, you know, you might have one standard event that's in the Olympics, and then you've got all these other other events that... Uh, um, see, I think know, the, the Olympics is going to end up being more of a stadium sort of like set up. Oh, you well, know, yeah. some, something 5K... Uh, spectator friendly more kind of sprint based so it's a bit more uh changing between the front and back leaders you know like much more exciting wise yeah i know. think i think you're right i think they'll run a short course version and mm -hmm. i think they'll run a long course but the thing the is thing. as well the, the interesting thing with that is you've already, you've already got like a military obstacle course that's a very well established that's mm -hmm. a very well established sport i mean why wouldn't if you want ocr specifically in the Olympics, you would literally just take that format on a 500 meter track, all the obstacles are the same, all the distance between the obstacles are the same, and it's one versus one till the uh, qualifying winner goes through to the final winner wins. 
Mm. Like that's essentially short course OTR racing, but it's just yeah. called military obstacle course racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really solid point that. And that would be fucking awesome to watch as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and I think that's it. I think if it, if the sport was in the Olympics, I think you'd see that you'd get the camera coverage set up right. So when the stuff happens on the race that we've all seen when we've been there on site, like John, you and I ran probably four or five k across OCR World Championships course last weekend, and we saw the leaders at about six or seven different places. And you could really see what was going on and feel where the differences were and feel how they were going about it. And I think if yeah. you had Olympic sport, when that's presented, I think it's going to be a really good spectacle to see just where, like, uh, say, Nicole versus Karen or Nicole versus Lindsay and the differences in their approaches for obstacles and a slip of a foot or, you know, uh, something just not quite happening and how that changes the race from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you look at, John at Spartan World Championships, he missed the spear throw. That was his whole race out the window, pretty much. Yeah, but then you look at the end. John's like literally a minute and a half off. John was coming like a freaking stream chain down that last year hill. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're there and you see it and you've got it on the coverage, you you, you just can't gather that kind of the the momentum behind it. So yeah, I, I think I think the Olympics would be great to watch it. I think it would really show the sport in its finest. So uh, But I think like you said, it definitely has to be it definitely has to be standardized and it definitely has to be like as much as I love OCR and I can sit and watch Spartan World Championships for two and a half, three hours, like we're into it. And if you're <laughs> gonna capture the public eye, it needs to be like half an hour. Otherwise yeah. I mean I mean like for I, I don't know you guys but I think Jake as well. Like we sat and watched Kipchoge last week. I watched a guy like run around a track <laughs> for two hours, two hours. Yeah. you know, <laughs> behind a car. But I thought I personally I'm into that. So like yeah, yeah, really yeah. interesting. But, then, but so no I one can else totally... is, if you're not interested in it, you're not gonna sit there and watch a guy run for two hours. Yeah. yeah. That's like yeah. um yes, it's been Go Ruck selections been on the go the last uh, over Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was watching it in work and everyone was like what the hell are these guys doing? Rolling in the beach in the sand, doing press ups and PT. And I'm like, it's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, you fucking weirdo. I don't know. Like, every, everyone's <laughs> watched. The Olympic marathon always gets watched, right? So I think the long course stuff would get watched the same and people would see what it's about. And, you know, that's one of the beauties of the, the, the platform that the Olympics is, if you ask me is you get to watch some sports you may not have watched before or, you you know, the pinnacle of people. Like, I remember London 2012, we went and watched the handball semi-finals. Now, I've watched some handball a little bit as a kid on and off when I had Eurosport on. I thought, that's pretty cool. But to actually watch it live was pretty darn interesting. And that can be a real way of getting people into a sport because they see it and think, you know what, that's really freaking cool. Mm. You know, it it needs that platform, doesn't it? It hasn't had the platform yet. I know Spartan Air in the US and things like that, but it, it still needs that platform around the world to build that audience base. And it needs yeah. to be done right. It needs to be and done I, right. Yeah. I must admit, what I do like about the fact that the OCR World Championships was in the UK um, the last two years, the fact that they put the World OCR event is going to be in Sochi. And I've been out to the Far East and seen how OCR is growing out there. And that's where it's growing massively in terms yeah. of participation. I think what we're seeing is the traditional model where 90% of the revenue in the sport came from the US is shifting. 
I think mm. that actually there is people growing around the world and it's important that races move to the different locations. And on that note, I think it's a shit thing that uh, world championships have gone back to fucking America this year. Well, what, the adventure ones? Well, yeah. A little kerchief. It's all about the fucking kerchief. money. It's money, Just, money, money, money. I mean, like, yeah. look at when, when Graham, when we were down the world championships, that I was expecting it to be fucking packed out. Like, you know, it's a world championship race. Should be, admittedly, the weather wasn't that great. Like, don't get me wrong on that. But turning off, and I was like, it's a bit like, there is, there's stuff happening, but it isn't, I'd imagine, if you went to that same race when it was in Canada the year before, that would have been a bigger buzz because there'd be yeah. much more people there, much more, you know, that American vibe about it, where in the UK, it's like, yeah, we're running around a muddy, wet field. Let's fucking yeah. get on with it. <laughs> Aaron know, and I there's none t- of that, like, <laughs> shit. Well, I think Aaron and I talked about it last, the other week. Um, last, the first year, OCR World Champs UK, Aaron ran it. You know, he ran age group. He had a fantastic performance. Was he 13th in the end, Aaron? Yeah. I think yep. 13th. So, you know, there was prize money for age group the first year of the UK-based OCR World Championships, right? This year, age group had no prize money, I understand. Really? That. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, I know someone who podiumed in the age group. And, yeah, he said I didn't get any money this year. I think that's farcical. How can you promote a World Championship event and promote like age group world champions, age group one, two, three podium, and then be like, you know what? Actually, you're not gonna get any money because, like I said, I mean, when we're talking about it, I mean, the sport is growing, and you know, I feel like I'm I'm a pretty good age grouper, right? And and that's still like as you all guys know, like it takes a ridiculous amount of dedication even to be a good age grouper. You know, I put all my chips in my basket last year and I came 13th and I was still five minutes from the podium, mm. you know, and I was training like 10 hour weeks, mm. you know, and that's a big sacrifice. And then to do that this year and then have no prize money, it's, um, I think it's, it's, I mean, how can you even call yourself a world champions mm. event? If you're, imagine, imagine mm. Ironman doing that. Could you imagine Ironman doing that? No, that'd It'd be, be crazy. a scandal. I think it's a good uh, indicator as well of post event is not pulling in as much money as because why would you pull that otherwise why would yeah. you pull that far as money well, I mean, well look at what not... happened with um, world tough as mudder don't well tough as mudder yeah all their exactly. competitive waves whoop all that went and they then went nearly into liquidation yeah. didn't they our margins aren't looking too good what's the quickest thing we can take off oh look we spend a two million on prize money let's cut that done yeah. <laughs> easy right, and, Doesn't and i think that anyone so, I think that's a real challenge. Like you look yeah. at the promotion for OCR World Championships recently, the adventure ones, and in the weeks, two weeks leading up, they were saying registrations closing, registrations closing, registrations closing. The next day, we've opened registration back up again because we want you guys yeah. to be there. And it's like, so you're clearly trying to stimulate, you know. And I'm no, no offence for them trying to run a business, right? But you see, that's an indication that you're having to take some action to try and boost your numbers. Because what you were hoping to get maybe isn't come as reality as you thought. Mm. Now, the weather was a little bit different this year as well. The first year in the UK, it was possibly the best October weather weekend the UK's ever seen and had no <laughs> rain for the whole weekend. And then this weekend, it was a proper English, English autumn. And it was yeah. wet as, 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 as you're at. So, I would say it's I mean, that doesn't traditional the, the UK. Standing up. Um, I say it's traditional UK OCR conditions. Yeah. You know, like we said that to um, yeah. who are we speaking to, Graham? 
I can't. Uh, I can't. Some somebody was saying like it's one of the Americans, and they're going like, "Man, it's just so muddy and wet." I'm like, "Yeah, this is normal. What it's like running in the UK in October. You know, there's no trails. No, you know, it's in a field, and you're kind of going. It's a bit shitty, isn't it? And I paid to do this." <laughs> <laughs> but I think it just goes to show, like, what kind of what be, what basically people's opinion were coming from the uh, where was it Blue Blue Mountains, Canada, um, to a muddy field in Essex. It's like, really, we're paying we're paying what was it like two hundred and fifty dollars for this? Yeah. And here we have all these beautiful mountains, this beautiful forest. Like, I wasn't I wasn't there, but. Um, you know, even just the pictures, it looked so much more epic, you know. And again, it comes down to money. Like, I'm assuming nuclear put the biggest bid in. And they were like, yeah, sweet, mm. no worries. Yeah. Take that. And, you know, I ran with a, a lot of Swedes last year. And I ran with, um, kept the contact, of course, this year. And a lot of the guys um, that were over last year didn't, didn't bother going over again this year. Because they were like, the event was shit. Like why? Why are we mm. going to go and spend that money on an event that was that was pretty pants? And again, I think that echoes sort of the possible profit margins and how well that business is doing in terms of the fact that they're trying to safe bet, safe bet, safe numbers. Probably the rent for nuclear, or I don't know what deal they've got going on, but it's going to be a lot less than hiring out a ski resort, isn't it? Let's face it. So definitely, I think it was a right, right let's secure this, get numbers, we can get bang. So then we again, looks like obviously they've moved it where the North American championship is. Uh, but yeah, I think we've talked enough on the OCR today. So I think we'll wrap it up on that. So yeah. Oh, damn. I was going to talk about bean burritos and George running an ultra marathon this weekend. <laughs> you, you just have to tease <laughs> everyone for the next one. we do a sweepstake of what we think George's times is and then we'll wrap it up? Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Right. Ooh. I'll go first. Ooh. Okay, I'll wait. Go hang on. What did he get? Wait. What did he get when he did his last one? 2.30. Just over 2.30, I believe. He's never well, run a 2.30 marathon. because he didn't run a 2.30 marathon. Jesus. Sorry. Like three... Between 3.30, 3.35, I think. And I reckon he'll do around 3.20. Oh, Jesus, you're going low. <laughs> we got no John, faith in him. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to go with George. I'm going to say sort of, sort of um, 3.20, mid-20s, three mid-20s. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to be the one that goes with 3.30 something. 3.31. <laughs> just just outside just outside the the, the magic 330 I'm going to go 321 with him having ballsed up some part of his nutrition somewhere <laughs> during the race and just, just to let everyone know a little insider is we were speaking to George yesterday and he's decided uh, to go vegan for about 24 hours prior to So I think if this race goes really well, you're going to see George shouting how good veganism is. He's going to be a devout vegan. You know. He's going to be great having his Ben and Jerry's vegan ice cream. Yeah. Or it's going to go the other way. It's going to go terribly. He's going to have to stop for free shits on the 
<laughs> he's gonna be, he's gonna be doing shit. what he did at, at Oblivion, going, "Where's my fucking Lucas Aid? I want my fucking Lucas Aid." <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, boys. Right, we'll, we'll, we'll see you. The next one, we'll catch up with George and how he did in the race. <laughs> yeah. Right, peace out. Peace out. Bye. Bye.